Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. It is a Saturday morning. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480KQAM. Hey, good morning to you. Thanks for hanging out with us today on another Saturday morning, getting you up and moving, ready for the day. It's going to be another hot one. Get prepared for that. Triple digits today, tomorrow. It will be nice by next week. We could see a little bit of rain again, cooling things off. Let's hope that we can survive another triple-digit weather. Welcome into the show. Always great to have you today. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, we have a lot to talk about today, don't we? Recapping another chaotic week in the great wide world of politics. And I want to get your thoughts on all of it. Open lines to you here for the first half hour at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. We have bottom of the hour, Jim Bohannon, host of the Jim Bohannon Show. You can hear him live on KQAM every weeknight from 9 to midnight. A great host. He's the legend in talk radio. He's been around for years, and we sat down with him just a couple of days ago. We'll play that interview at the bottom of this hour. Hour number two, we get into election mode slightly as we talk with Natalie Bruno. And no, this is not, we don't talk about Bruno. No, no. Anybody watch that? No? Encanto? <laughs> I've seen that I don't know how many times with our little one. Uh, but Natalie Bruno, she is the Libertarian candidate for governor for the state of Oklahoma. As she's running third party down there, we sat down with her and we chatted with her about uh, the campaign, about running third party, about the Libertarian mindset, and more. We'll play that coming up at the top of next hour. And to wrap it all up, we sat down with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall as well. I realize that we have not played that full interview here on Kansas Talk, so we need to air that, and that's coming up to wrap up the show at 10.30. But until then, it's open lines to you, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about. All of it presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. Make sure to check them out. They are opening up here in about 20 minutes at 9.30 until 2.30 this afternoon. You can also visit them online at philscoins.com. Where shall we start today? We have some local issues I want to get to in a bit. There was a big vote from the Derby School Board who's rejected a plan on their uh, their education plan because of the concerns about the woke, quote-unquote, push of diversity and inclusion. So, the question is, were they right in shutting it down, or was it a closed-minded, bigoted approach to not accept diversity and inclusion into the school board? We'll talk about that, and I want to get your thoughts on the school board. There's been a lot of heat and a lot of attacks going after the Derby School Board because of their lack of accepting diversity and inclusion. So we'll talk about that. On the national front, though, there's obviously it was a big week. We've had the raid of Donald Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago home that I want to get your thoughts on. Uh, because that is still ongoing, is now the Democrats, and according to the mainstream media, they have everything they need to lock Trump away for a long time. They raided the House. He had top-secret files. He had classified files. They took 11 boxes or 11 sets of uh, documents away from the Mar-a-Lago home. Do you believe that? Is it true? Uh, Well, they took something away. The question is, was it detrimental? And we'll talk about the process here in a second because uh, he had declassified 
all of that. As president of the United States, you get to declassify information. When you say, this is now declassified, then boom, it's done. It's declassified. Looking at the report on the reasoning for them to go and what they were allowed to take, they essentially said that any presidential document at all, classified or non-classified, between the years of like 2017 to 2021, when the time that he was in the uh, White House, any of those documents that they were essentially allowed to take. And like just nice little like happy birthday cards to different leaders around the world any personal notes, anything they were had the right, according to the FBI documents, they were allowed to take away from Mar-a-Lago because apparently they want to completely whitewash Trump from the history books completely. Barack Obama has nearly like 30 million documents from being president because you're allowed to take that stuff. If it was under your administration and you want a record of that as the former president of the United States, you have the ability to take these documents, even if they're classified just by the wave of a wand and the magic words that Donald Trump or Barack Obama or George Bush or someone else is able to magically speak them. Poof! They are able to go from classified to declassified just in an instant. He could have waited and taken the classified documents. And then as they were, like, taking them out and walking out the front door, he could have said, these are now declassified, and boom, it could have been declassified. That's how that process works. But that's not what we're hearing in the mainstream media. That's not what we're hearing from the Democrat mindset, because to them, they're getting, first they tried to say that there was a whole bunch of, like, nuclear weapon stuff, which is completely untrue. The FBI search warrant was in tandem with the National Archives, meaning different conversations that were had within the White House, things that need to be kept in the White House for record-keeping purposes. That's the purpose of what the raid was originally of what we were being told. Then it went from that to, well, there's nuclear conversations here, nuclear weapons that we need to go and information about nuclear weapons that shouldn't have left the White House that we need to go and get that are top-secret classified information that no one's supposed to know. And I'm very confused by that accusation because the National Archives had been working with the Trump administration really for the last year and with his lawyers on what to take, what not to take. They had been to Mar-a-Lago before and had already taken a whole bunch of documents as they had agreed upon. And then all of a sudden we do this crazy raid onto Trump. This is concerning. Andy, why do you care about it? We're sick and tired of hearing about it for the last week. Why is this important? It's important because if they're able to do this to a private citizen, to demonize them and to whitewash them, to remove all the records from their home, to remove them completely as if they never existed as a president of the United States, what are they going to do to those that support Republicans or conservatives or Donald Trump? What are they going to do if they have that authoritative power to just remove someone as if they never existed and they never had power, then what are they going to do to those that they have a political bias against? It's very concerning. Then you tie that in with, uh, you know, the IRS agents that are going to be militarized, the billions of rounds of ammunition for years that we've been talking about. Remember, it, it, I remember going on the radio years ago and saying, why in the world, with some of the massive amounts of ammunition that was being purchased in the private sector, and then all of a sudden the IRS department was purchasing millions of rounds of ammunition. And we're saying, what are they doing? What's the purpose? Are they giving it to the military because the military ran out of funds? Are they trying to arm up IRS agents? And we joked about it 10 years ago. Now, all of a sudden, we're hiring 87,000 IRS agents over the next few years, and they're going to be militarized. They're going to have a firearm. The job description online when you apply for it says that you need to be in relatively decent shape. You need to be able to have the capability to use deadly force and hold yourself to the highest of standards.
<laughs> the media trying to backtrack on some of this and say, wait a second, no, they're not actually just new 87,000 IRS agents, which they are. They're just working under the IRS department. Some of them are going to be IT and engineering guys. Some of them are going to be filling, you know, call-in staff for individuals that need to call and ask questions. And then some are going to be experts to go after the big, rich corporations and evil people to try and audit them to make sure that they're not squeezing any money out of the system that they're not paying taxes on, which would enhance be the militarized IRS coming after you because then that arbitrary line of that $400,000 drops relatively quickly. So I want to get your thoughts on all this. Is it a concern? Has the government crossed that line now where they are too abusive, they are too powerful, and they are trying to oppress the private citizens for those that they don't like? Because the way I see this now, especially with the IRS, is that either they push us to the point to where we begin to respond, which then classifies us as the radicals and the extremists and those that cling to our guns and our Bibles and those that are just anti-government and then we get labeled as extremists and terrorists and all this other garbage from the other side and if you hold the Gatson flag you know the don't tread on me flag then all of a sudden you're part of the radical movement you're part of the MAGA movement which they've already classified as the most radical extreme political organization in U.S. American history which is not true in any way shape or form but that's what they try to say so they've already labeled us as such. So either if we respond, then we're the bad guys because we're fighting against a country. If we don't respond, then they just financially oppress us with a militarized IRS department and agency that says either you pay more money or else we come and forcefully take it from you with our armed guards. <laughs> then you have the FBI, one of the most corrupt agencies in a very long time, that says, well, we need to make sure no one is above the law and we're going to go after Trump, remove all the documents from his home, Completely erase him from history, pretend like he never existed, say they're classified when they're not classified so he can never run for office again, and then anyone that supports him will be labeled as such and will use our hounds of the IRS to go after you. Has the oppression gotten too far and gone too far, or is this standard? Is this something that we can accept and be okay with? Andy, what do we do about it? I'm not advocating in any way, shape, or form for any type of physical uh, involvement. What I am saying, though, is that by golly, we better get Republicans in office in the midterms and that Republicans that are in office and that are going to be in office soon. You better damn well do your job and make sure all of this nonsense ends soon. I'm telling you, we have to get rid of the IRS, which would be really nice. Just abolish it. Make it a flat tax. Make it a fair tax. Set up a system. Just make it simple. Get rid of it. We don't need it. Save some money. Spend within our means. And I mean it, balance a budget and actually spend less than what comes in. We had record amounts of tax revenue come in for the first 10 months of this fiscal year. Record. We've never had more money come in for a 10-month period in our existence as a nation, and we still spent way above that. That shows where we're at. And while we continue to spend more with this Inflation Reduction Act, then we're not going to get any better here anytime soon as well. I want to get your thoughts. There's a lot of stuff to talk about, obviously, with the raid, with IRS, with uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. Yesterday, the House of Representatives officially passed it as well, which means it is now heading to the president's desk to be signed, which means the IRS agents will happen, which means the Green New Deal is happening. The Build Back Better plan that was a disaster of a socialist package is going to happen. They finally passed something. In two years, they have passed two bills through the congressional process, and that was the infrastructure bill last year, and now the former Green New Deal, that is the former Build Back Better, that is now the Inflation Reduction Act that does nothing to end inflation. 
I think that's all I had to cover for this morning. So let's get your thoughts on all of it when we come back here. We'll take a break. We'll take your phone calls. Plus, we'll talk about some local issues, obviously, with the Derby School Board. What's going on there? Some election issues now that we are gearing up for the uh, the general election here in the state of Kansas. It's going to be a big one. As Donald Trump said, it's going to be huge. It's going to be bigly. And I want to get your thoughts on that as well. We're gearing up. Are we seeing the proper action from the Republican Party here in Kansas, the Republican candidates? Are you happy with them? And how do we move forward to make sure that we maintain Kansas to be a conservative, red, Republican state that's going to promote conservative values and not let the purple wave take over? Because I am, got to be honest, a little bit concerned about that. So with all that, we'll try and cram it into a two-hour program right here on Kansas Talk on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Stay right here. into the program 22 minutes past the hour by the way just to give you a bit of a heads up of what's coming up on kqem here relatively soon we are just a couple weeks away from the kickoff of high school football which means we'll be having our high school football game of the week on friday evenings which you can hear right here on kqem as uh, the sports guys will be covering those play-by-plays plus statewide scoreboard shows every friday night at 10 p.m as well to recap a lot of those at the same time your high school football guide will be out here relatively soon as well and you can uh, you'll be hearing locations on where you can get those high school football guides soon. We have a lot to get to. Plus, as we get closer to election season, we are working on some things behind the scenes uh, just to give you a bit of a teaser uh, to try and get you active and engaged and involved getting into election season. So a lot of cool stuff going on. We'll have more information as it gets a little bit closer. But I'm telling you, big things. Bigly, we are huge. We're going to be winning so big we're going to be tired of winning. All right, enough Donald Trump references. Let's go to the phones here, shall we? 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Just to get put this stuff into perspective, I'm getting a sense that people don't trust the FBI or some of the federal agencies because after this happened over the last week, in 48-hour time period, Donald Trump raised more money than he had ever raised in a 48-hour time period, even while he was running for president before or during his re-election, and ever. They supported him more than ever before, <laughs> which I think tells you something. I think tells you something. At the same time, Alex Jones, you know, from InfoWars, we air his program overnights here on KQAM and his Sunday afternoon pro- uh, program as well. After his uh, lawsuit against uh, the Sandy Hook parents where he has to pay near $40 million uh, for a defamation file uh, filed lawsuit, uh, he ended up raising more money than ever before in a single day with individuals purchasing his uh, supplements and stuff on his website with InfoWars. There is a mode now, there's a mindset nationwide that if the federal agencies or if the government comes after us on, on this side of the aisle, then we're starting to band together and just automatically distrust what they're saying. And I think that's going to be not in the favor of Democrats as they continue to try and squeeze. You ever try and squeeze sand in your hand so much that it starts to squeeze out in between your fingers? That's really a sign of the fact that, uh, well, you know, you can't try to oppress people and control people and think that they're going to stick around and just do it. We have so little faith in the system right now as a nation that we're in a world of hurt. And how do we get ourselves back to common sense here? Let's go to the phone line at number one. Good morning. Who's this? Mr. Andy. Sean, how are you, sir? Oh, fine. You took up a lot of my 
my uh, editorial time. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, there I, I laid out an entire smorgasbord for you to cover, so whatever you want to touch on, go for it. Well, I think we all can see what the hell is really going on here with this raid. Anybody with a half a brain <clears throat> knows what the government's doing. As far as crossing the line, they crossed the line back in 2016 when the FBI slipped a couple of spies in this campaign. They just keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. You know, part of me thinks that uh, they're being reckless now. And another part of me thinks, well, it's 50% being reckless and 50%. I think they're trying to provoke sure. uh, a civil war. They're definitely trying to provoke trouble, that's for sure. You know, uh, labeling people who aren't terrorists, terrorists. You know, accusing organizations that aren't terrorist-type organizations of uh, being such, you know, making up organizations that don't exist. But, um, you know, every agent that was involved in that raid on his house ought to be fired and maybe even charged with a crime because they violated the Constitution doing what they did, making this lawyer stand out in the parking lot, didn't show him a copy of the uh, uh, warrant, and, you know, showing them from 10 feet away, you don't know. You, can you really read a warrant from 10 feet away? Do you even Can you even see if it says warrant on there? Yeah, well, a lot of that was pretty sketchy. Between not showing them what the warrant looked like to saying you can't even come into the house or into the rooms that we're searching right now uh, to videotape it or to actually just see what we're doing. I mean, Trump, now obviously the paranoia begins to run rampant then as Trump has made the comment of, first off, who in the close quarters potentially could have uh, told the FBI to come and raid it to look bad, or, you know, did they plant something in there? Did they plant listening devices in? I mean, the paranoia starts to run rampant, which is, I think, like you said, their goal is to instigate something or to drive him mad to where, like anybody else, that when someone's coming after you tenfold like that, then you start to go crazy because then you start looking for shadows everywhere that, that you go, and you just drive yourself insane. Well, either his Secret Service detail or someone else has already done swept the house for bugs. So, you know, and, and phone taps on uh, taps on phone lines. But, you know, monitoring a cell phone, they probably do that or they're probably doing that. Uh, and, yeah, going in there and taking stuff without even looking to see what's in the boxes. You know, the way they went about it, trying to force the staff to turn off the uh, surveillance cameras, which, thank God, they didn't. Yeah. And then trying to get them to turn over those cameras. That's because they're up to no good and they're probably going to try to plant something if they haven't already. You know, and then they'll spring it on the American people later. But, uh, yeah, this whole thing stinks to high heaven. It, 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 it's just the same old crap that they've been doing to him for years. It's really nothing more than persecution is all it is. Well, sure. And now, what happened after it now? Like I said, I mean, we've seen more donations into the Trump campaign for the last 48 hours. After it happened, Trump said that he's reinvigorated and now angry with what happened. Obviously, because you're right. I mean, it is. Anyway, I mean, the fact that they're trying to say that he had some type of documents for nuclear weapons sitting in his home. First off, what insane person actually just thinks, oh, yeah, you know what? That's OK for me to take home and just store in my archives in my personal basement. He wouldn't think that. And if he did do that, let's just say he's been working over the last year with the National Archives in order to go through what he's allowed to have, what he can't have, what they need back, what what he's allowed to keep, uh, which they've been working with fine, and they've been doing it for the last year, and they would miss documents on nuclear weapons just laying around and be like, well, we didn't get to that one yet. Like, come on, man, give me a break. Who cares about documents related to nuclear weapons? Hell, I got my own secret laboratory in an undisclosed location. <laughs> 
scientists working on building a nuclear-type neutron bomb that's designed to wipe out liberals from the face of the earth. Oh, so, well, you know what? Play. Hey, you know what? <laughs> you you got to have a hobby somewhere, right? I appreciate that, Sean. we got to take a break uh, going into the bottom of the hour here. So I appreciate that. Enjoy the weekend. Stay cool, brother. Always good to talk with you. we got some other calls online. Don't go anywhere. We'll take your call as soon as we come back right around the corner here for a Saturday morning. It's Candace Talk. It's the Big Talker KQAM. We'll get some Kansas and local issues here in a second as well, but I want to get your thoughts on this. Are you concerned between the FBI raid, between the expansion of the IRS, between now this passage of the Inflation Reduction Act? We're getting down to the wire for the midterms where Democrats know they're probably going to lose the election nationwide and at the individual states, and they're trying to ram through everything they can, even if it's unpopular because they know that, heck, They'll be able to promote their agenda even once it's all said and done. We'll get your thoughts on that when we come back right here on Kansas Talk. There can be only one, and he's right here. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Anybody remember that movie? There can be only one. Great 80s series. What, they made, what, three movies, I believe? The Highlander. There can be only one. Welcome, <laughs> welcome back into the program. It is Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Happy Saturday morning to you. Let's get you up and going, trying to get you uh, cooled off a bit going into the weekend. That's supposed to be another triple-digit weather. Uh I'm ready for, I, I got to be honest, got to be honest, I'm ready for the fall and the cool weather. I am ready for 30 degrees every day where I can wear my shorts and t-shirt and be happy as all get out. Welcome back in. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Let's go right to the phones here, line at number two. Good morning, who's this? This is Ray. Ray, how are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, hey, have you noticed that uh, our governor is trying to take credit for the revenue that's coming into the state? <laughs> And considering, you know, when you have inflation, the prices of everything goes up and therefore the taxes on everything goes up. Yeah, funny how that works. If you raise taxes and inflation, meaning you have to spend more money in order to buy some goods and then you pay taxes on the higher price goods, then tax revenue goes up. And then she says, well, the economy must be doing well. So people are spending more money. <laughs> I, uh, Yeah, that's an interesting concept. That's almost like Joe Biden saying that he created eight million jobs. Uh-huh. And, and plus, with everybody coming out of COVID, we're doing things. Yeah. More activity it has nothing to do with her. It is funny how they've taken the stance of many conservative policies. I mean, obviously, Laura Kelly saying that she wants to axe the tax on groceries, which did happen, and we're going to start seeing that tear step downward. But that's Republicans have been trying that for 10 years here in Kansas, and both as governor and as a state senator, she blocked that left and right. Uh, investing exactly. in mental health issues, trying to deregulate. Now she's all about, well, you can do whatever you want to. If you get exposed with COVID, we're not going to enforce it anymore. I mean, well, uh, interesting changes in the Democrats right now, isn't it? Yes, and she doesn't have anything other than that, something that she didn't do. Uh, now she's going after Schmidt, you know, and his perceived problems. Yeah. If you don't have anything to brag about, attack the other person. Well, and that's it. And even the tax, uh, the attacks are, I mean, are we sick and tired of hearing about the name Brownback? Oh, Derek Schmidt's a Brownbacker. He partnered up with Brownback. I mean, Brownback was, that's so four years ago. That's all. We don't want to hear about Brownback anymore. And 
Um, well, I don't know if people are aware or not, but as attorney general, if you are the attorney general of a state, then you have to defend the state in lawsuits, which means if the governor's getting sued for a policy that they have or it's going to court for some reason, that's the job of the attorney general is to defend the state of Kansas and the governor and the state as a whole in court. So you can't say that he went out of his way to defend Brownback because that's his literal job as attorney general. Well, and another thing about the Brownback deal, Brownback was getting ready to turn the corner and we were headed for an economic boom like we'd never seen before. Yes. And the pack mentality of the Democrats dragged him down and now they lie about him. And then on top of that, okay, Schmidt says, yeah, I support Brownback. Well, do something more than that. Say something. Yeah. Tell us tell us how good he was going to be. You know, he was right on the verge of doing everything great, putting money back into programs that the Democrats had stole. Yep. And uh, no, nobody defends Brownback. It, it, it makes me, I'm tired of it. Ray, you, you hit it right on. That's exactly what needs to happen. Governor Sam Brownback hit the perfect, like you said, it was about to boom. He did the perfect thing that needed to happen during a time of a recession and a low economic yes. time where he was still, when he came into office after Kathleen Sebelius, now, I admit I was not around at that time here in Kansas. I came in afterwards. But reading uh -huh. and talking to individuals, when he came in, there was a deficit in the state. There was no safety net or emergency fund in any way, shape, or form. He reformed that. And by the time he left office, there was a billion dollars in our emergency fund. He had stopped uh -huh. reamortizing capers and actually got it caught up to the capers payments for our retirement yes. fund for state employees. And he left the state in a way better position. And even though we were still struggling, it was in a time when the entire country was struggling because we were under the Barack Obama recession at that time, and the entire nation was struggling financially with the economy. And Sam Brownback was able to make the state survive that with walking away with a thousand dollar or a billion dollars left in our emergency yeah. fund. When the economy was going to take off, if we would have continued that policy, we would have seen economic growth like never before. Yes, we would have, and we don't. We don't publicly say we say, okay, well, he he was doing all right. Well. Tell us how he was doing all right. Yeah. Um, you know, um, my, my my conservative son was walking around thinking Brownback was a failure until I had to straighten <laughs> him out. But he'd been hearing what the Democrats tell. And the Republicans, of course, we, we never do anything for ourselves except it, it, it just seems like, you know, deer, deer in the headlights or something. That, yeah. You know, d defend yourself for gosh sake. I am right there with you. There's a lot of frustrations I have with the Kansas Republican Party because, first off, we're not uniting. We still see a lot of division between, you know, even like Chris Kobach winning the nomination for attorney general right now. There's a lot of beef uh -huh. against him. And uh, I, I talked actually with his campaign last night. And we're going to get him on the show here in the next couple of weeks. There's still a lot within the Republican Party in the state that want to sabotage Kobach and would rather have a Democrat attorney general as opposed to uniting behind the party. Brownback was another great success for him is that he united the party in the state, regardless of our beefs, regardless of trying to expand our thoughts, you know, in the primaries and, and spar a little bit. We have to unite at the end of the day and we have to unite as a Republican party. We have to do better in messaging. We have to do better in outreach and we have to do better in uniting as a party in the state or else we're going to lose. Exactly. Yeah. Ray, I love it, my friend. It's good to talk to you, my friend. Stay cool out there and have a great weekend. And uh, you right on. You hit it solid.
It's exactly what we have to do. Uh, just to let you know is that, yes, behind the scenes, I have been working with the state Republican Party and many individuals in the party to try and say, hey, what can we do to help unite the party and make sure that we're going to be good going into the general election? Because we cannot continue to be our own worst enemy and shoot ourselves in the foot based on personal vendettas against individuals that we just don't like in the state that are under the Republican umbrella. We'll get to that a little bit later. But first, I want to shift gears a bit. Uh, we sat down with the legendary radio broadcaster just a couple of days ago, Mr. Jim Bohannon, host of the Jim Bohannon Show, which you can hear live every sat, uh, every weekday from 9 to midnight uh, in the evening slots. He's on the program there. Also, his best of program on Sunday mornings here on KQAM as well. Jimbo Hannon, we sat down with him a couple of days ago, and this is what he had to say. Jimbo, how are you, brother? Hey, hanging in there, Andy. Thank you. Yeah, always good to talk with you. It has been a wild run with some primaries going on around the country, going into midterm election season, but uh, I don't know. Jim, right now Republicans are up, Democrats are hurting, but do you think that could change come November? Because things seem to be turning around a little bit. Well, the economy is turning around a little bit, but I mean, we're going from unbelievably terrible to just very bad. That's not really a circumstance designed to get people to uh, to vote for you. Remember how horrible I was? Well, now I'm only bad. Vote for me. Yeah. I don't think so. Plus, there is one thing that the Democrats are trying to use as a rallying point, and that is the Roe versus Wade decision that uh, President Biden has been urging everyone to uh, vote for uh, uh, control of your bodies on uh, November, the uh, whatever date it is this year. Yeah. So yeah. Th- th- that could be a factor. But it, otherwise, I think turnout is going to be very limited among a lot of Democrats. They're not really into this. Sure. Uh, so, no, I, I think that uh, uh, it may be turning around a little bit, but not enough for it to change the House. The House was going to go Republican overwhelmingly. The Senate uh, probably Republican. Sure. To an extent, it's not clear how how far they'll go. That is very true. I'm glad you brought up the abortion issue. Obviously, with the reversal of Roe v. Wade back at the end of uh, at the end of June was a big shock, I think, to the country. Which, as many said, it was going to ban abortion, which it didn't. It just allowed states to bring it back down to the local levels and make their own decisions. Kansas, where I'm based out of here, we just had our major first uh, constitutional amendment to be voted on for statewide since the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And it didn't turn out the way that it was supposed to or the way that everybody kind of anticipated. Now, I've talked about internally why I think that it was uh, I think it was intentionally caused uh, causing some confusion, some anarchy, some chaos by some of the campaigns that were done on the other side of the aisle. But Democrats, I think, have definitely tried to run with this and say, well, look, middle America now supports abortion, open ended abortion, essentially, after that ruling from Kansas. Is this going to be the major platform for Democrats moving forward? They don't have much else, but until Joe Biden leaves office, uh, they they have a problem there. So uh, that's about all they've got going for them. One thing that needs to be made clear, people have made such an either-or, black-and-white circumstance over Roe versus Wade. Folks, I got news for you. Whether you think this is a tragedy or a triumph, (laughs) abortion isn't going away. Hmm. Nobody in this country should be unable to get an abortion. You may take a little bit longer in some states, but I guarantee you that people like uh, uh, pro-family groups and this sort of thing, uh, they're going to set up uh, bus tours for people who can travel from one state to the next to state that's friendly to abortions. And uh, I, I don't see anybody facing any kind of a problem other than a slight delay sure. in an abortion. So, I mean, 
people have made too much out of this. Uh, if uh, Roe is overturned, uh, then uh, abortions everywhere will cease. No. If Roe is, is stayed in, stays in place, then abortions are available everywhere. No. People are making too big a deal out of this. I think they are. I, I mean, the polls that we've seen even before the reversal of Roe v. Wade showed that on the abortion issue that people don't want it completely banned, like you mentioned, and it's not going to be banned uh, in any way, shape, or form. But to have basic limitations on it to where, you know, maybe we shouldn't have abortions in the ninth month as someone's about ready to go into labor or for children to be uh, that are underage to have an abortion without parental consent in some way, shape, or form or limitations on how much the government should be funding it on a public sector level. I mean, basic conversations there, but no one's saying, hey, you know what, um, you're insanely ill, the baby's about ready to die or cause some issues, we can't do something about that. No one's talking about that, but that's not what we're hearing in the mainstream media. No, it is not uh, what you're hearing. And, uh, I mean, we have to keep in mind that for a lot of people, this argument that uh, that uh, so many million babies have been murdered by uh, by Roe, Abortion is such a convenient form of birth control for some people. They don't want to hear about uh, about dead babies. No. It's just a just a collection of tissues growing in their bodies, as far as they're concerned, and uh, they uh, they don't want to have that convenience removed. It's okay, so I'm I'm really sloppy with things like <laughs> diaphragms and condoms and uh, morning after pills and what have you. But uh, hey, I've covered. Uh, we've got. Uh, the chance to get an abortion. Yeah. And that's all that matters to most of these people. That is very true. We're talking with Jim Bohannon, host of the Jim Bohannon Show. Let's shift gears a little bit to Donald Trump and the latest that we've heard with the news that just broke here over the last day or so with the FBI raiding his Mar-a-Lago uh, uh, place there, his room in his house, breaking into his safe, working with Secret Service to be able to get in there and access some of this, the ongoing investigation with January 6th and that investigation there. Uh, is that going to deter, do you think, Republicans from supporting Donald Trump as many individuals right now are anticipating him to announce a re-election run? Well, keep in mind one thing, and that is that uh, there are no undecideds left over Donald Trump. You either like him or you don't like him. And in fact, you probably either love him passionately or you can't stand him. <laughs> uh, so there are very few undecideds uh, to move anything. I mean, this uh, 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 effort to, to get at Trump through January 6th or his New York taxes or documents he may have taken from the White House, those are all either a government plot to do in uh, Donald Trump that's uh, unfair, illegal, and uh, fattening, or what have you. Yeah. Or, on the other hand, it is finally justice for this terrible, horrible man. I mean, nobody is, is undecided. So I, I I don't see it changing much. I just don't see many, many shiftable votes sure. regarding Donald Trump. Now, in terms of others who run for the office, uh, of course, Chris Christie says he's running regardless. Uh, Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina, she says that uh, she won't run if Trump runs. So uh, different candidates are handling this in different ways. Yeah. In the beginning, I thought Trump wouldn't run. Then I thought he would run. Now I'm not sure. It is fascinating to see whether he's going to or not. And I think if he is going to announce, he'll announce after the midterm elections to see how well his endorsed to candidates do going into the general election. But it seems like right now the party is still vastly behind Donald Trump, except for those few outliers. I mean, right now the one that makes the news is someone like Liz Cheney, who had to have Dick Cheney to go and make a campaign ad for her because, you know, near 60% of the county Republican parties in Wyoming have disowned her from a Republican. She's losing in the polls badly, and it's because of her personal vendetta against Trump. 
which tells me that, hey, there are still some outliers, but overall the party's still mostly behind him. Yeah, they are mostly. It's interesting to note that Liz Cheney, uh, in, ter- in terms of uh, uh, the Trump agenda, voted 91% in favor of Trump's legislative agenda. The woman who replaced her in the Republican leadership, uh, Stefanik, uh, she voted for Trump 77% of the time. So Liz Cheney votes for Trump policy. She just doesn't vote for Trump in terms of, uh, of personal issues. Yeah. It is very strange to see, uh, again, I think it's just kind of that personal vendetta. But the Republican Party's changing. I think it's shifting. I think that Trump opened up the door for a lot of candidates nationwide who have never been in politics to decide that they want to run for an office. And we're seeing, I think, a lot of those candidates win. We saw uh, with uh, out of Colorado with the, the congresswoman out of there. We see Myra Flores out of Texas. I think we're seeing a lot of anti-quote-unquote establishment candidates really make some ground now. There are a number. There's no question about that. It's not been universal, his track record. He's uh, winning a lot more than he's losing. Sure. I think that uh, I think he'll probably run. Sure. And if he runs, I think he'll probably get the, the nomination. I don't think that's a given anymore, but uh, he'll probably get the nomination. DeSantis is going to be his principal challenger, and uh, DeSantis has won a few polls out there. Sure. The Western Conservative Conference uh, has two years running now voted for DeSantis over Trump, so we'll see. It is definitely going to be interesting. Last question before we let you go, and I appreciate the time. It's Jim Bohannon. Jim Bohannon is the Jim Bohannon Show as well. Go and check it out. But on the Democrat side, the Joe Biden, obviously, disaster of a president. Can't remember who he is half the time. We have Nancy Pelosi, who's talked about retiring because she's on the way out. We have Chuck Schumer that's probably, hopefully, we can only pray, is going to be out relatively soon. But the future of the party, who's going to be that leader? Who do you think is going to run against Trump? Is it going to be going back to the old guard with Hillary Clinton? Is it going to be the rumors of a Michelle Obama? Is it going to be a a Beto O'Rourke again? I mean, who's the face of the Democrats moving forward once these guys kind of move on the way out? You know, Pete Buttigieg uh, is another possibility. Uh Mr. Transportation, uh, uh, that's a possibility. Heck, Al Gore is younger than Hillary. Mm. If we want to continue our our talk of uh, people 70 and over. <laughs> so it, uh, there's a lot of possibilities over there. Uh, Hillary Clinton still has a base in the Democratic Party, and I would not rule her out at all. I don't think that any Democrat can win the election, but I think she might win the nomination again. Boy, just imagine if we saw a Hillary Clinton-Donald Trump re-election in 2024. Imagine what that would do to the voters. Well, it certainly would be uh, more than deja vu all over again, that's for sure. (laughs) There it is. It is Jim Bohannon, the Jim Bohannon radio show. Go and check it out. The legend in radio broadcasting. Jim, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. We love it. We appreciate it. we got to do it again soon. All right. Thank you, Andy. There it is. That's Jimbo Hannon. Again, you can hear Jimbo Hannon's program on KQAM every night from 9 to midnight live right here on KQAM. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Wrap up hour number one of Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. talking again with the AARP, whether it's the Fraud Watch Network, Retirement Calculator, getting involved in the community. Make sure to check them out online at aarp.org slash ks for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on their social media as well. Mary's back on the line with us this week. Mary, how are you? 
I'm doing great, Annie. I'm trying to stay cool, and I'm 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 succeeding, I think, by staying indoors. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to do with uh, this extreme heat that we've seen, and hopefully it'll start cooling down here relatively soon. Well, it is getting closer to the end of the year, into the fall season, which is hard to believe for one, but that also means it is time to enroll in certain programs statewide and nationally, which means as well there's other times for fraud, and Medicare fraud is a big one that you guys talk about quite a bit. What's the latest with the with the concerns about Medicare fraud? Well, exactly. Um, Congress right now is talking about making some changes to Medicare, and so when we hear about Medicare being in the news, the scammers are also listening so we know that they are, you know, concocting ways to, to get people's personal information. And while we're here talking about Medicare, um, they're thinking about ways to take people's, um, you know, money away from them and, and get involved in some fraud with Medicare. So one of the things we're hearing right now is that people are calling saying that they're from Medicare. And, of course, you, you wouldn't know otherwise if they say that they're with Medicare. You believe them. But they say that they um, are switching to plastic cards, and they just need to verify your Medicare number to issue the new card. So, of course, if you think it's somebody official, you're probably going to try to give them the number. But don't. That's where we want people to stop and think, who is this person? What Medicare shouldn't be calling me. They should just issue new cards to the mail, not by calling me. Medicare is never going to call you. So we just want to warn people to be careful when they think somebody from an official place like the IRS, Medicare, um, their local, um, you know, the the you know, some local agency is calling them. People usually don't call you if they need information from you. They already have it for one, or they're going to send you um, a, a letter to get that information. So we just want to p- make sure that people are warned about people that sound like they're from an official agency. Well, they sound really convincing as well, don't they? When they call and talk to you and try and say how they're Medicaid, they could even make up some kind of number about an employee ID or something as well. So it's very concerning when they make these calls because they're very convincing. That's exactly right. Um, My husband keeps getting calls saying that now that he's on Medicare, that he's eligible for a knee brace or a back brace. And they just need his Medicare number to take care of that, to send him a free brace you know so it sounds great and and especially if you're new to medicare maybe you don't know uh, as much about it and you think well somebody's calling me they're asking for my number and they're going to tell me they're going to send this free thing i better give it to them but that's not going to happen so we want to make sure that people be sure not to give those medicare numbers out because once the scammer has that they can either use that to do some false billing to medicare or they'll sell the number to someone who will do that. So it's very important to keep that personal information to yourself. Don't give those numbers out to anybody who calls over the telephone because you don't know who they are. That is very true. And I'm glad you mentioned that about what they could use it for because I was curious about that as well. I mean, it almost sounds like almost your like your Social Security number where they could actually sell it or use it themselves for benefits and to rack up your bill. Exactly. And there's a, a lot of people who falsely bill Medicare for things um, that, that shouldn't have been. So, we, you know, you got to be careful about that number floating out there. And I do have a number, an 800 number, um, that if you do have somebody calling about Medicare and you do think it's a scam, you can report it directly to Medicare at 800 800- 
So you might want to write that down. It's 800-633-4227. That goes directly to Medicare. Fantastic. we got just about a minute left here, but what else is going on with the AARP? All your virtual events, all your different webinars, what else do you have going on? Yeah, we have a great concert coming up this Friday, um, and it can be found on either Facebook or YouTube channel at AARPKS. And it's Dave Zerfus, and he's going to sing some cowboy songs and talk about some cowboy uh, ghost stories and things. So it should be a really fun event, and you can catch it either uh, when it happens or, or afterwards. Absolutely. I love it. AARP.org slash chaos for the state of Kansas. Go and check out all the great information. I'll also find all their streams and webinars and great entertainment on their social media as well. Mary, we appreciate it. Let's do it again next week. All right. Sounds good, Andy. All right. There it is. Hour number one of Kansas Talk all wrapped up. we got lots more to get to here in hour number two. Stay with us. We have Natalie Bruno, Libertarian candidate for governor in Oklahoma, plus U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from here in the state of Kansas. Plus, we have the Derby School Board vote lately. I want to get your thoughts on that and a heck of a lot more on Kansas Talk right here on KQAM. Truth Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Welcome back into Kansas Talk. It is hour number two of Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480KQAM. Hey, thanks for joining us today on a Saturday morning, as you always do. We love you to death. We appreciate you very much. We always appreciate you joining us uh, to try and kick off your Saturday morning. It's going to be hot again. Ah. <laughs> I am ready for the 40-degree temperatures. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just enjoying the cool. But until then, we have to accept the reality. We're in triple digits again for the next couple of days. By the beginning of the week, we could see some rain and some cooler weather. But until then, we will survive the best that we possibly can. Maybe get our tan on so we don't glow in the dark nearly as much. Welcome into the show, 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join in, I would love to hear from you today. We have a lot more to get to here in hour number two. In just a minute, we'll play our interview with Natalie Bruno. Not the one that we don't talk about because we don't talk about Bruno. Anybody see that in Canto? Yeah, okay. I have an eight-year-old daughter, all right? Uh, no, the one that we can talk about, it's okay, Natalie Bruno. She is the Libertarian candidate for governor in the state of Oklahoma. Our third party is going to be the rage this year. We say that every year. Oh, it's the third party, the independent, the Libertarian. This is their year, man. This is the year. I am telling you here in Kansas, I am concerned about some of the Libertarian and independent candidates running for governor that could uh, really sabotage the Republican uh, run with Derek Schmidt going into the governor's race. If they take 5 to 8% of the vote and we end up losing the governor's race, I will put the responsibility solely on them. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on on the program. Bottom of the hour, we have U.S. Senator Roger Marshall. We sat down with him a while ago, and we'll play that interview here to talk about what the latest and greatest is out of Washington, D.C. So there's a lot to get to. And, of course, I want to hear from you at 316-721-8255. All of it presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity. Go and check them out. They're open right now until 2.30 this afternoon. Also online at philscoins.com. And uh, we always appreciate them partnering up with us here on KQAM and on Kansas Talk. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. We have our interview with our latest in election coverage. It's time to meet the candidate. The government works for us. 
Elections 2022. Which, again, before we get into this interview, I do have to say we will start rolling through a lot of the candidates for the general election, not just the statewide level. Yes, we will get Derek Schmidt on. Yes, we will get Chris Kobach on. Yes, we will get Scott Schwab on. Yes, we will get all those on. Stephen Johnson, uh, the treasurer's candidate, which, holy cow, that election still in a recount level because it was such a close race between Stephen Johnson and Karen Tyson. But Stephen Johnson, uh, I think, winning that one, at least as of right now, and we'll have him on the program again soon. We are going to work on trying to do some type of election rally. Hoorah, get out the vote message. So be aware, stay tuned, and we're going to have some more information coming up here. But we'll have all of them on the program. We will be talking about general elections a lot, but then also we'll also be getting some local candidates on as well with uh, the county commission and I think there's city council. We'll have to check and see. I don't remember what's on the slate. I don't, maybe not this year. I know that there's the big one with the mayor's race next year here in Wichita that we'll get to uh, when once this season and this cycle is all wrapped up and done. So there's a lot for us to try and cram onto this program, and we do it with bells on and smile on our face because we try and get as much information and content out to you, the voter and constituent here in South Central Kansas. But right now we're going to go south of the border into the great state of Oklahoma and chat with Natalie Bruno, the libertarian candidate, the run for governor. The third parties is this year to make that happen. We talk with her and more about that right here on Kansas Talk. Natalie, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Living the dream. I appreciate you joining us today. Running third party, that's a difficult task, but going into early general election season, how's the campaign going so far? How are you feeling? You know, I'm actually feeling really great about everything. Um, as a third-party candidate, obviously, you know, we're the underdog. Um, but I'm kind of seeing this being more of like a, for those who follow college basketball at all, a, a Cinderella team situation where we have had the best traction and growth month over month than we've seen in third candidates previously. So I'm really, really excited about our chances this election. That is good. I want to talk about uh, why the optimism there for the third party going into this year, because I think you're right. I think there is more interest in there, and we'll talk about that in a second. But before we do that, talk about yourself a little bit. Talk about your background and what got you into the race, and especially running third party as a libertarian. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so for me being a libertarian, I'll, I'll touch on that real quick for a second. I actually make the joke that I uh, spend time at every other political party first <laughs> before I realize like, I'm a libertarian. You know, because, you know, we, everybody is raised thinking that there's really only two options besides independence. Sure. And so I, you know, went and I was you know, like, well, I don't want to be part of any establishment. So I want to do independent. Then I was like, well, maybe I'm Democrat and realized I was wrong there. And, you know, then went to Republican. And then I learned about the Libertarian Party, which is a, the third largest party in the United States. Um, we've been on um, all 50 ballots for presidential elections um, for the last two election cycles. And, um, you know, we've been around for 50 years, but it's still a relatively new um, ideology for a lot of people. And so after I actually, you know, I was actually hounded by a friend of mine that was like, you're a libertarian. You need to look into what the platform is. Um, I did. You know, I I went in and looked at the platform. I was like, wow, I'm pretty much right in line with every single one of these and um, made that decision to change. And from a professional standpoint, my background, I've actually been in marketing, advertising and media uh, for the last 14 years. Um, I started in print and that was radio. Um, and then I was in cable and now I work for an agency. So I've been in leadership roles, um, some in national capacities for at least eight years. Um, and I've been on the philanthropy side. So I've been a youth coach for soccer and basketball for the last five years. 
Um, I was a CASA volunteer. I am the chair for the Associate Board for Oklahoma Lawyers for Children. I've done a lot of stuff in criminal justice reform, so I've never been a candidate, but I have been part of change on the back end. And as anybody realizes, there's almost only so much you can really do unless legislation changes or the way that we prosecute people change or the way that we view things. And, um, you know, we keep giving opportunities to Republicans and Democrats to make change. But as we've seen in Oklahoma, it's it seems like whether we have one or the other, not really any progress is made, right? Mm. And so it came to a point where I realized if, if, you know, I love living in Oklahoma, I have children that are going to grow up here. And if I actually want us to literally be a top 10 st- uh, state one day, we, we have to make changes. And what better way than to elect a libertarian candidate that is able to work with both Republicans and Democrats to get things done to help the whole state instead of just half the state, depending on who gets elected. Sure. That is very true. And I think third parties do have that opportunity to try and, you know, think outside the box and do things just a little bit differently. Let's talk about the Libertarian Party for just a second, because I love the Libertarian Party. I have many libertarian aspects to me, although I am a registered Republican and and very conservative myself. Uh, But the, the only thing that I've seen that the Libertarian Party, I think, at least from looking on the outside in, struggles with is that they've had a hard time finding and identifying themselves because there are so many individual thoughts is that it's hard to find kind of a collective unison voice on what the Libertarian Party kind of stands for. Democrats do very well, in my opinion, being able to have that unified voice because they're very centralized. They have their marching orders. They do their top down as the Democrat Party does. Republicans kind of sort of do that, but we have a little bit of a dissenting within the party because they try to be conservative and individual thought-minded. But libertarians are so kind of individually thought-minded that I think it's almost done harm to the party in the long run nationally because they haven't been able to gain a an actual platform that everybody agrees on. Your thoughts on that? I mean, is the libertarian party growing? Is it getting better at unifying? And is it getting better being able to represent everybody that identifies as a libertarian? Yeah, that's a really great question, actually. So a, yes, we have seen tons of growth, um, not only within our state, but nationally as well. And I've had a great opportunity to work with both national and um, our state office. And so I have a really good grasp on kind of what that looks like. Um, but when it comes to the voice, I think that that really has to do with, since we are still growing and we don't have some of the resources that the two original parties have, um, like having marketing people to help craft that voice and craft that message. We're re- really getting close because what it really comes down to is instead of having a unified message of this is our stance on this or this is our stance on this, it really is about explaining and selling the message that our unified voice is that we have all individual voices. Mm-hmm. Understanding that, you know, just because we as individuals don't like something, um, doesn't mean there has to be a law against it and understanding the role of minimal government. And so it's really more along the lines of, hey, so how do we craft the fact that we don't have a unified voice because we embrace the fact that all of us have different ideologies, we have different mindsets, and all of that, that really, um, you know, 
gives us the ability to make our own life choices and keeping the government out of those roles. Sure. I like that. I, I like that idea. I like that. It's a unified voice of individualism all working together. It's uh, Natalie Bruno. ElectNatalieBruno.com is the website uh, running for the Libertarian governor's race in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, talk about, you had mentioned earlier on that this is the year for the third party to be able to rise up and has more support than normal years or in past years, and that this is the year to make that happen. What's different? What's uh, what's going on right now nationwide and in Oklahoma spe- uh, specifically where the third party candidate could be that viable option for many? Yeah. So I feel like this is kind of like a two-part answer. So the first part is we as a nation and as a state have had more of our personal liberties at state in the last couple of years than we have had in a very long time. So more people are stepping up and asking questions and standing up for their families' rights and standing up for their individual rights and, and seeing you know, what it looks like when you have a kind of overreaching government. And so a lot more people are saying, wait a minute, you know, why is there a law for this? Or why are you trying to control this when this is something that I should be able to decide for myself? And so there's that aspect of things where a lot more people are, are questioning the role of government. Then we have on top of that, just, you know, just speaking about my race in particular, we have um, the incumbent that has had a lot of scrutiny um, lately about, uh, you know, decisions that he's made, um, some bad investments, some um, other negative aspects that have come into play, and the state as a whole is not happy with him. Um, then you have a situation where we have a Democrat that was actually a Republican. So there is that um, unhappiness where the Democrats are feeling like, okay, this candidate doesn't even really represent a lot of our values. We only have her on there because we think that she might have a good chance of being fit. And then we have an independent that was also a Republican that changed. So it's essentially, you know, myself, a libertarian versus three Republicans that could be potentially splitting up that Republican vote, you know, which does have about 50 percent of the registered voters. And then I have a lot more support from the independents and Democrats um, and upset Republicans. Um, because of the way that that's kind of all been orchestrated together. So it's almost like a recipe for a perfect storm to allow for the rise of a third-party win. Sure. That is very interesting. Talk about if you get into the governorship, what would be your uh, focus and priorities? I know that the state of Oklahoma in general has had a lot of issues on a lot of different things, especially like education comes to mind right now where, you know, the teachers unions have been kind of dominating a lot of the educational debate and the funding for education, the tax issues. I mean, some of the other uh, things that you guys have had to deal with, but what would be your priorities and what would you like to see done if you were governor? Yeah. So my first priority would be to, um, and, and this is kind of almost a, a funny libertarian term because we use it so much, but um, auditing everything. Mm. Um, we just like what we saw with the Swadley's situation, that is not an isolated incident. That's just something that finally got brought to light. These situations happen across government all the time where people are way overspending. Um, you know, somebody's buddy gets a contract on, you know, a construction piece and you have like, you know, $600 toilet seats. It's always been a running joke about government waste because it really happens. Right. And so going through auditing everything, like, you know, obviously we have auditor positions, but their capacity to really dive deep into things um, just isn't there. And plus that's, you know, an elected position as well that doesn't necessarily always have the most qualified people in there. And so coming together, auditing everything, looking at how we do our bid process and changing that because some of these contracts that have been pushed through, I'm really amazed that it have even happened. Um, Because I do think that we tax actually quite a bit. 
in our state. And for the fact that we are getting so little funding to things like education or mental health and things like that, that our state needs so much, that tells me that there's something, you know, awry somewhere else. So auditing everything and then going through and working on mental health education and criminal justice reform, because believe it or not, those are all tied pretty closely to each other. And even within the education space, um, a lot of people are really putting a lot of focus on teacher pay. And don't get me wrong, we absolutely do need to pay our teachers better. But teachers don't join the profession to become rich, right? Um, A lot of the teachers that I've spoke with that are leaving, the amount of money that they're making is on the bottom of the list. And there's a lot of other issues that we have within our state, like not getting planning periods, not getting teachers assistance, not having support for those who are on IEPs and um, 504s in the classrooms where they have behavior issues. Like there's, you know, lack of respect from principals and school districts. There's tons of other issues that are really driving the teachers leaving and changing outside of just financial. And so getting in there and, and trying to solve some of those problems. So high level, there's a lot of stuff to fix, but that would be where I would want to start. Sure, absolutely. I know Oklahoma has a massive agricultural uh, industry as well, being so rural and having so many farmers around that area. A lot of issues affecting agriculture right now, not only just the weather, but the high input costs, the 9.2% inflation rates that we have right now, the ongoing battle with Russia and the Ukraine that's causing uh, domestic and international export issues and the uh, just the, the supply-demand chains that are going on right now. But your thoughts on all of these, can we continue to help farmers? And uh, what kind of focus would you have on the agricultural industry in Oklahoma? Yes. Um, so that's a great question, too. And I will, you know, start by saying um, I am not an agriculture expert, right? So that's one of those areas where I would definitely rely on um, my cabinet members that are uh, more ingrained in that area. But we do own quite a bit of land and we do have um, farmers and stuff in our family. And sure. I will say that the, one of the first things that we can do is kind of get out of their way we overregulate some areas to death. Um, and initially, you know, we have these regulations in place, you know, to protect Oklahomans, to protect the environment, to protect different things. But but some, it's more of a control thing. So helping remove some of those, lowering taxes where it makes sense, um, lowering barrier of entry for some of those tax breaks, um, because sometimes there's acreage minimums, sometimes there's spend minimums. Um, and trying to do what we can in that capacity to lower some of the um, you know, walls that are kind of put up that enables them to pivot and, um, you know, give them more opportunities and to expand in other areas. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, it's overregulated and it's an unfortunate because many in the ag industry, they uh, the entire industry is out of their hands on whether they even make a profit at the end of the year or not, whether it's mm-hmm. in grains or in livestock. And it's unfortunate. On the marijuana side, I know libertarians focus a lot of attention on marijuana. Oklahoma was able to pass the medical marijuana side of things, not quite to the recreational level yet. But how is that going? I know that as you know, the limited government mindsets that we both have, that the regulation over the industry almost seems more burdensome than just either not legalizing it at all or just going full on. But how is it going so far with the industry? And would you like to change the way it's done right now? Yes. So I would say it's um, any time you start a new industry, first of all, there's going to be some hiccups, especially when we have situations where we have legislators that are making laws and regulations that have zero understanding of the field, right? Yeah. Um, so we had situations where we're like, okay, so we're going to require that this certain testing be done over th- this you know, amount of um, product and this kind of packaging without them understanding, well, you know, if, do you realize that that would be every day? Or do you realize that that would be 
this. Um, so there's been a lot of decisions made in silos, which is why I think that it's kind of been a little bit of the initial mess that it has been. But I do see that we've been adapting. And I do also see that we actually, within that industry, it's probably the closest thing to like an open free market that we've been able to see. And so what that has done for us, though, even though there's been some overproduction and things like that, is we have basically made it to where we have some of the best quality products mm. um, and we have some of the um, best pricing that a lot of the other states see. So I'm hoping that we get to a point, especially since we do have so much production because of the amount of rural space and stuff that we have, that we do things like allowing people with medical cards from other states coming and purchasing, um, you know, going ahead and allowing recreation, but still protecting the medical as well. So that way there's incentive for people to still get medical cards. And there's lots of things within that space I would like to continue to see growth in. On top of, you know, with the fact that we are as rural as we are, I would love to see us have more of a focus on, um, on hemp. And, um, you know, using it for textiles and things like that, there's a huge opportunity in that area that we haven't even really hardly touched on yet that would, you know, help from an industry standpoint and job standpoint tremendously within our state. That is very true. What I do like about you guys in, in Oklahoma and the way you've done things is that I came from Colorado. I mean, Colorado obviously being the first state to go down this road of the marijuana. And what they did, I thought, was disastrous on how they planned it because they were the first ones in kind of the experimental state. And you guys have been able to take what they did and learn from it and kind of twist it and adapt it and make it somewhat better as you continue to move down this road and make it and, and fine-tune the system. But at least it's not just like jumping headfirst in and just wondering what's going to happen like Colorado did because I don't think it turned out too well for them on the on the back end yes no i can agree with that 100 percent. yeah uh last question as we let you go natalie bruno you can uh, find her online elect at nataliebruno.com but sales tax on food i live in the state of kansas right now we're trying to get rid of ours and i think it's going to happen over the next few years in in kind of a uh, stair step here oklahoma you guys have been battling to get rid of that as well as you talk about taxes and spending at the government level how badly do you need to get rid of sales tax on food in the state I think that it's imperative. That's actually been something that I've spoken about on multiple multiple of my uh, my posts uh, and also on my platform pieces when I've spoken about it because of the fact that, especially right now where inflation is so high, and we have families that are dealing with um, you know potential um, hunger issues because we have things that are double in cost. Um, I have you know I'm in I'm a mother myself. I'm in different moms groups, and we literally have families that are taking pictures of their Walmart grocery pickup order from a couple months ago to now and seeing it increase by, you know, 50, 60, a hundred dollars. And so having the opportunity to even just remove taxes helps more than what people realize. And anything that's a necessity like that, I feel like should absolutely be, um, have those taxes removed. And of course, the first thing is, well, if we don't tax it, then where are we going to get that other money from? Right? Well, a lot have, um, uh, formulas have shown that that money that you then save in taxes is reinvested in other things where you end up getting self-tax off those dollars in other areas. So, uh, but then at least we have the opportunity for people to be able to, you know, have a little bit of the pressure of the inflation and situations taken care of by not, you know, because that can sometimes save you $20, $30 uh, by having those taxes removed from food. Yeah. 
It is going to be an interesting election, and I hope that that's something that you guys can get done. I, I know that between Oklahoma and Kansas, we're like one of you know two of six or seven states in the entire nation that actually tax food, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. So hopefully both our states can actually move forward in getting rid of those things. It is Natalie Bruno, elect NatalieBruno.com, the Libertarian candidate for the gubernatorial race in the great state of Oklahoma. Natalie, I appreciate all the time you gave us here. Good luck on the campaign trail. we got to chat again here soon before the election. Thank you so much. You have a great day. All right, there, there it is. That was Natalie Bruno again, the gubernatorial uh, candidate for the Libertarian Party down in Oklahoma. I want to talk some more about third parties here coming up around the break as well. Uh, do you think it is that year? As she said, the perfect storm for the third parties. That's what we said in the last governor's race here in Kansas as well, if you remember, with the independent candidate. So is it their year? Is the third parties going to rise? Will we see independents or libertarians take over or... Will they be taking away from some of those that more align with them uh, to uh, some degree, at least, in the regular general election race? And is it going to potentially harm the governor's race here in Kansas with the Republican and the Democrat? We'll talk about some of that. Plus, when we come back around the corner, we'll have U.S. Senator Roger Marshall. We have some calls on the line. I'm going to take you and the phone calls first and foremost as soon as we come back after our bottom of the hour hard break. So don't go anywhere. We'll get your thoughts on all this craziness in the world wrapping up and recapping a chaotic week for sure take a breath enjoy a little bit and try and stay cool out there for another weekend we got lots more coming up here on candace talk on wichita's big talker kqam right around the corner stay here Listening to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, you are. Welcome back into it. We're on the home stretch here. Last half hour of the program, right around the corner of the weekend with Michael Brown, based out of Denver, Colorado. We have a lot of great programming throughout the weekend, so just keep it tuned in while you're going about your business, doing your thing all weekend long, right here on 1480 KQAM. Always great to have you, especially right here on Kansas Talk. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join in, we have our interview with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall we'll get to here in just a bit. But the lines are lit up across the board, so we kind of laid out a whole lot of different topics for you today. Let's see what's on your mind, and let's go right to them. Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Uh-oh. I guess we lost that one. Let's go to line number two. Good morning. Who's this? Scott. Hey, Scott. How are you, sir? Hey, Groovy. Uh, this is uh, not the normal Scott. This is the school Scott from uh, Oklahoma. So what's happening, brother? Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, I really appreciate the interview, and I'm glad she came on. That was really good and nice of her and everything. I agree with a lot of things that she said. However, one topic that was not touched on was her stance on abortion. I just want to make sure that everybody understands what she what she says about abortion. Mm. So this is uh, right off her website, and uh, I'm just going to read a few of the highlights here. It says, my, people talk about abortion. My reply is that I want there to be less of them, but I do not support making abortion illegal and here's the reasons why the government has no place in health care choices period so she just she feels abortion is a health care choice and not murder sure okay she, she says we do not get to pick and choose when we want medical freedom like vaccines and when we don't and whether you like it or not while a baby is inside a woman's body it is her health care choice 
Interesting. So I think yeah. that's extremely important for people to understand if they're going to be thinking about voting for this person, sure. what she thinks about that. I'm glad you brought that up, Scott, because you're right. I mean, it is the typical, I guess that stance is kind of the typical libertarian approach is that just hands off of everything and almost like borderline the anarchy, do whatever you want to, because there should be no realm of uh, guidelines or restrictions or barriers within society in any way. And many libertarians do take that approach. So that is a very, I guess, typical libertarian approach to that one. So I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, obviously there are some that don't agree with that. And uh, uh, Oklahoma, now correct me if I'm wrong, being in Oklahoma, Oklahoma has some pretty stringent uh, laws on abortion right now, don't you? Correct. Yes. Uh, Basically, if if uh, if I understand it correctly, yeah, um, it went back and forth a lot, so I don't know exactly the the final what and the one that passed. But if I understand it correctly, as long as it's not, um, as long as, if it's uh, endangering the mother's life, then then it is uh, not illegal, which I I agree with. And here's my basic uh, stance on abortion. Okay, if you kill killing an innocent person is illegal. That's called murder. Hmm. Okay, so if you kill an innocent baby that's not harm, or threatening anybody, that's murder. Yeah. Now, if the baby is threatening the mother's life, that, that, that baby is no longer innocent. Whether there's intent or not, that baby is threatening another life. I have the, li- the right to defend my life. Sure. So therefore, I believe that an abortion, only when it's endangering the mother's life, is okay. You know, I, I agree with that. I think a lot of people agree with that concept as well. It's funny how it ties into almost the same argument as the Second Amendment, doesn't it? I mean, kind of ironic in that sense. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it, it, but, and people think it's, it's kind of, oh, wow, well, you know, they never thought of it that way. But it's right. It's God-given right, natural right. Right. And if you think about it on that level, it all falls into place. It does, and you're right. Now, we had, when the reversal Roe v. Wade first happened at the end of June, we did have Governor Kevin Stitt on the program, and I think you you heard that that interview as well. And you're right. I I believe that the laws in Oklahoma are pretty much essentially banned, except for, like you mentioned, the times of you know when there's distress for the mother or some type of illness, which is about every law across the nation. When the other side of the aisle says that we're just completely banning abortion, they try to hype up these stories of this Texas woman who was scared to go after the baby died inside of her and was going to, like, you know, d- d- poison her and kill her. And she kept it in her body for two weeks because she didn't think she was allowed to go to the doctor and actually get it taken care of. That's the crazy uh, hyperbolic paranoia that the other side of the aisle has spread across this nation, thinking that we're so inhumane that even when there's a threat to the life in some way, shape, or form, or someone's extremely ill, that we don't want to sit down with a doctor and have something taken care of. We just want to say, we don't want to go out and have a willy-nilly, quite crazy wild night and then not take responsibility for the actions and just kill off a living a living being just because we feel there's no value to it. Right, exactly. And, and that basically goes back to their main tactic, fear. And and if they if they can't if they can't exploit a crisis they'll create one, yeah. just like that that uh, well all right I'm gonna go into that but yeah if, if they can't have, if they don't have a crisis to exploit they'll create one and they have to have fear because they're all based on emotion. Politics of fear is what they are so good at. Scott, how are things looking down in Oklahoma going into general election season? Is it comforting? Do you think that uh, uh, like she said, do you think that there's a third party movement or do you think that Governor Kevin Stitt's going to be walking away with this one? I. I, I don't know, but uh, the the people that I uh, in my circles that I run with and everything, uh, nobody's talking about it. Um, I don't see any difference uh, now than before, um, and I, I I just don't think it's there yet. It, it's just like uh, it's just like a renewable energy. It's a great idea, <laughs> but it's not it's not ready yet. 
not quite efficient enough to make it happen. Look, I I, so I told her, I've said this many times before, I love the idea of third parties. I agree a lot with what the Libertarian Party has to say. Libertarian parties, independent parties, constitution parties will not win a statewide or national race in elections. And when they do run and they take 5, 8, 10% of the vote, then you are stealing it from the person who is more closely aligned with you, maybe not exactly, obviously, between a Republican and a Libertarian, but more closely aligned with you than the other candidates. And therefore, now we're getting the worst out of all of them as opposed to the marginally best because of taking that margin away when knowing that you're not going to actually run away with the election. Exactly. And I, I think that the, the ideal way to do it is what George Washington said, you know, basically just to have no parties at all. And that's the, that's, that's the goal. But again, that, that idea is not ready for prime time yet either. Yeah, again, it's a great idea philosophically and idealistically, but uh, with how much money goes into parties, yeah, that's never going to happen. We are a long way from getting rid of that. Exactly. <laughs> I love yep, it. Scott, I good agree. to talk to you, my friend. You have a great weekend. Stay cool down in Oklahoma. Thank you. All righty, my yeah, friend. Todd here, too. Hey, oh, oh, yeah, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. That's Scott down in Oklahoma. We appreciate him listening uh, as we try and get involved with more of the Oklahoma politics going on. They're our neighbors. They're more closely aligned with us here in Kansas, and we need to work with each other to try and promote and preserve a lot of these traditional values and conservative principles. So uh, that is that. Let's get into our next interview to kind of wrap up the program today. We sat down with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall. Now, this is about a week old or so. Uh, this is before the raid on Donald Trump, so we did not talk about that from the FBI standpoint. Uh, however, we haven't had a chance to play this, and I want to get your thoughts from U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from here in the state of Kansas. Senator, how are you, my friend? Andy, great to be with you. we got some great topics. I know your listeners will want to Tune in and, and catch some of this inside stories. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Obviously, things running actually really fast right now. I think Democrats are a bit panicked going into election season with how bad their agenda is playing out. But, Senator, right now we're just trying to just maintain. We have inflation at near 9.2%, 11 to 12% in some areas with the uh, supply chain issues. Gas prices are still lingering around that $4 a gallon. When are we going to catch a break? And we, Do we see anything dropping here in the near future? Well, Andy, I wish I could say say yes, but I don't, because Joe Biden is actually doubling down on his policies. They refuse to admit their mistakes. You know, I was back home and visited with a dozen of my high school classmates from El Dorado High School, the Fighting Wildcats, uh, last Saturday at the bowling alley. And you know, all they wanted to talk about was gas prices, grocery prices. And then they had a lot of questions like, well, what was President Biden thinking when? And you fill in the blank, you know, uh, when he left Afghanistan, when he stopped the Keystone Pipeline, when he's shaking the air rather than shaking a hand. Uh, so there, these are challenging times, and this president refuses to get off of his woke agenda. And remember, for your listeners, he wants these problems. He wants $5 a gallon gasoline so he can make coal-powered cars. They're not just electric-powered cars. I'm calling them coal-powered cars you know, comparable to the cost of operating an internal combustion engine. Uh, the, the southern border, the same deal. He wants this problem. So it is very much still challenging times. Well, it is still challenging times. And as you talk about these uh, these coal-powered cars, these uh, electric vehicles, I mean, now we just have the announcement of the batteries that are going to be made here in the state of Kansas. But right now they're trying to push these electric vehicles nonstop. Senator, we're in extreme heat in triple digits across the Mid-America region right now. We're seeing brownouts and blackouts all over the place, and they want us to plug more into the grid when the grid can barely maintain what we're doing right now. To me, this just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I'm just sitting here kind of laughing at myself. Back in our um, beta, theta, pi 
uh, when we were pledges, we had a little saying, the, the five or six Ps, prior planning prevents piss-poor performance. And there needs to be a plan for base load. You know, I'm grateful for the wind energy we have. I'm grateful for the solar power that we have. But still, to this day, natural gas and coal are going to be the base load. And for Kansas, about 18% nuclear. I think there's a wonderful opportunity to use small modular reactors to supply that base load. But until we get that in place, and that's going to be a really a 10-year fix if things go perfect. But until that happens, we need uh, those basic, uh, you know, the, the, we need the coal power. We need the natural gas. The wind doesn't blow uh, when we need it the most. Yeah. So this will be a challenge going forward, and we, we just can't, you know, kill the golden goose. No, no you're, time yet. you're absolutely right. Now, the Department of Transportation with Pete Buttigieg, they've struggled trying to get money out from that infrastructure bill out to the states to be able to do what they do. But they tried to include a lot of the green initiatives into that infrastructure bill. Are we concerned or are we going to see a potentially uh, rehashing of our electric grid with this green new movement that's going to overhaul the system? We, we, we will. And I mean, literally, they'll have to double the entire electric grid if they really believe they can convert most cars to coal powered or natural gas powered. So they'll have to double that grid to start with. Uh, think about the environmental impact of that situation as well. But there they are. They're, they're getting the cart before the horse. Again, I want to leave this world cleaner, healthier, and safer than I found it. You do, my farmers, my ranchers, all of us do. Yeah. But it's going to take a transition, and we're going in the right direction. And the reason we're going in the right direction is because of American in, uh, intellectual curiosity and, and because of innovation, because of that pioneer spirit across the great state of Kansas. Yeah. Amen to that. We're talking with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall. Now our oil reserves, Biden, the Biden administration announced just a few months ago that they were going to release one million barrels a day for the next six months, essentially depleting our oil reserves. Then we found out that it's not even going to try and help lower the gas prices here in our own country where we're battling the four or five dollar gallons of gas all over the country. But it's going to be sold off to OPEC and to other countries, the latest into China, which the Biden family obviously has ties to. And now we hear that the Senate and that the Congress failed to pass a bill to ban the selling of our oil reserve to China and other places like that. I mean, if we're going to release our oil reserve, Senator, I would think that it would be to try and relieve our own gas prices, not to make a profit for some of the politicians in D.C. Yeah, Andy, you can't make this stuff up, can you? And, and this is why my classmates' heads are exploding when they talk to me. We shut down a million barrels a day coming in from Canada, relatively inexpensive oil, uh, and then we're shipping oil from our reserves over to our enemy. I mean, President Eisenhower, what would, what would President Eisenhower think um, of what we're doing right now? What would President Reagan think? And there's no one that says that this makes any sense at all. We're, we're begging the president, rather than flying to Saudi Arabia, it's a much shorter trip to Kansas. Come and unleash American energy. Everybody that I know in Kansas, they're afraid to drill. People that have been doing it longer than I've been alive are afraid to drill right now because of the uncertainty created by Joe Biden. Uh, your listeners know it takes two years to return any type of uh, a profit uh, from an oil well and more like five to ten years really for it to pay out. So, so the president is going to Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, all of our enemies, 
but he won't fly to Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. We could solve this problem if he would give us some certainty. Yeah, amen to that. A few weeks ago, I jumped on one of your your conferences, your virtual conferences that you talked about regarding some of the agricultural issues, a potential food shortage, and what's going on with the latest with Russia and the Ukraine. Obviously, Ukraine being the major breadbasket for a lot of grains and wheat and so on and so forth in Europe, but where they send a mass amount into the global market, which they can't do right now. Are we still concerned about a food shortage, and how does that situation look like as that uh, as that conflict and that war continues over there? You know, absolutely, and every day that war goes on longer uh, really increases the chances of increasing food insecurities as well as famine. And to your point, about 25% of the world's wheat goes through the Black Sea. Uh, about 25 to 40% of the world's fertilizers go through that Black Sea as well. And without fertilizer, the crop production, of course, is going to be less. But yes, every day that war goes on uh, increases the chances of starvation, and critically, for the northern third of Africa and the Middle East, they get almost all their wheat from, from that area through the, through the Black Sea. And on my recent trips, uh, I just got back from Israel, but also recently been to uh, Israel and Jordan and Turkey. I mean, they're all concerned about where their wheat is going to come from and very you know, much a concern about you know, an Arab Spring even perhaps again this coming spring or the year after. Yeah. We saw Egypt and Sri Lanka both announce as well that they're going to stop exporting some of their grains and some of the agriculture that they usually do into the global market and actually keep it because they're concerned about those shortages. Is that going to cause some more issues if other countries, including the U.S., if we have to at some point, end up pulling back on some of our exports into the market and actually just keep them themselves domestically? You know, we're so blessed uh, to be from the great state of Kansas, the world's largest supplier of wheat. So I don't want to scare people at home. We're going to have bread on the shelves. We may have some shortages of other uh, supplies, but it's driving the price of groceries up at home. That's where I'm trying to go with this. Yeah. This is a world market. Um, I'm going to go back to, to, to fertilizer. China is the world's largest supplier of phosphate fertilizers, and they've shut that off. Uh, China is now in Canada. We get most of our potash fertilizer from Canada. So China is there driving that price up as well. So the impact to Kansas is going to be the price of groceries, but the impact worldwide is, of course, the cost of food and just the, the food insecurity issues. Sure. Is there any end in sight than what you've seen in D.C. right now in the conversations ongoing with that conflict with Russia and the Ukraine? Vladimir Putin came out and said that he's in it for the long haul and he still has his agenda, but is there any talks about a potential stopping, a ceasefire, or some type of uh, peace going on over there? Oh, quite contrary, um, Andy, I think this president wants this war to drag out. This is how he can blame all of his problems on Putin. I, I think, again, he thinks he's fooling Americans, but Americans realize that, that he wants to blame everything on Putin if this war ends, but the inflation sticks, which is going to. He has no one to blame, so he's slow-walking all the sanctions. It is so frustrating for me up here to see this situation. You, you mentioned earlier they're having problems getting out the bilateral infrastructure um, money. Well, they're having the same problem, so to speak, of getting up the weapons and the funding for Ukraine that we've talked about. They've been slow to react, uh, always reactive rather than proactive. Based upon the president's actions, I think he wants this war to stay around for a long time. Oh, what a mess. What a mess. Last question for you. I know you're a busy guy. It's U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from right here in the state of Kansas, my home state, as uh, we talk about a lot of these issues. Uh, yesterday, we saw the news report come out about a bipartisan committee that released two new bills on elections and election integrity and making it harder to challenge electoral college votes and uh, being able to uh, really define what the state role is and the federal government's role is 
in the counting of Electoral College votes in a presidential election. I think from the Democrats being concerned about another challenge if Donald Trump chooses to run again for president in 2024. Have you heard of these bills? And what's your thoughts on those as we go into election season where Democrats are scared about Republicans doing a big red wave? Yeah, you know, Andy, uh, Nancy Pelosi wants this to be a culture war. She doesn't want to make this election about a referendum on Joe Biden and his policies and the price of gasoline, the price of groceries. So she's going to keep throwing out these culture war uh, type of votes. So you know, here's my question for the national media. Just because Nancy Pelosi throws out a red rubber ball out of a house that's on fire, do we have to chase it? Uh, look, I don't think that bill ever sees the light of day over here. I, I think it's federalizing of elections. I think it may well be unconstitutional. Uh, look, I want to make it easier to vote, harder to cheat, but that's going to be accomplished at the state level. Constitution clearly states that the states are responsible for the time and the integrity of these elections as well. Uh, I'm very concerned about what she's trying to do here, and I guarantee you there'll be a poison pill somewhere in that legislation. We'll break it down, but, but look, this is a legislation – that's in search of a problem. The real problems are the price of groceries and the price of gasoline. They always got to throw those uh, poison pills in there somewhere. It can never just be exactly what it's actually about. So it's going to be interesting to see, and I'm glad you guys are <laughs> yeah, staying on pay, top of that. Andy, pay no, pay no attention <laughs> to the names of the bill. I'm <laughs> just trying, you know, Barack Obama made it hard of that. So pay no attention to the name of the bill. Well, I mean, we just got to follow Nancy Pelosi's own rule of we got to pass it to see what's in it. Right, Senator? That's it. That 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 is the story right right there in a nutshell. That's what it's all about. It's U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from the great state of Kansas. Senator, we absolutely love everything you're doing up there. Keep up the great fight, my friend. We'll talk to you again real soon. Andy, thank you for giving God-fearing conservatives a voice. Keep up the good work. There it is. That's U.S. Senator Roger Marshall. We always appreciate him. Man, what a guy. What a fighter. Keeping it going in Washington, D.C. We love everything he's doing, and we appreciate his time, any chance that he's able to give it to us. All right, we'll take a break here. We'll wrap up the program. Just the last couple of minutes here on the show. Goes by way too fast. The fastest two hours of local talk in the country. I'm going to throw it at Just throwing it out there. We'll get to your thoughts on that when we come back. It's Candace Talk right here on KQAM. Boy, is that really it? Are we done for the day? Holy cow, it goes by way too fast. Always appreciate everybody hanging out with us today. We got just uh, 60 seconds left on the show. Make sure to stay tuned in next weekend and for Candace Talk all over again as we talk with more. We're going to start shifting gears into election season, talk with more of the candidates, get you ready for general election time. Also, make sure to stay tuned in for the voice reason for our national broadcast at 4 p.m. weekdays right here on KQAM. We didn't even get to the other issues I wanted to talk about today, the Derby School Board talking about the diversity and inclusion. We'll save that for next week. We'll get your thoughts on it as school boards decide what to do. I don't even know what diversity and inclusion means anymore. It's not like that equity thing where now we have some sort of equity, some sort of value, and the government setting what that value or equity is for us. I don't even know what that is. We'll do that next week. Plus, if you get COVID-19, don't worry about it. You don't have to quarantine anymore from the CDC because the COVID-19 virus isn't that dangerous any longer. <laughs> Until then, have a great weekend. Try and stay cool. This is Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker 1480 KQAM. We'll see you on the radio Monday.